Well, hello. It's good to be back with you once again. I missed you uh, for a few weeks. And uh, I'd like to explain to you exactly what's been taking place a little bit in my life. Um, I was having trouble walking. And uh, I had to put some braces on, going to therapy three times a week. Trying to get myself somewhat back in shape. And Melvin Gaines has pitched it for me for the last three weeks just to give me some time off and to regather myself in a sense. And God has just done far above what I could have ever thought or even imagined. <clears throat> I'm walking pretty good again without falling down. I had to give a shout out to uh, my brother James Wells who took me to therapy and back and kind of like allowed me to lean on him. He was like a post for me. A few times there he kept me from falling because he was right there and I have to give him thanks for that. I had to thank the body of Christ also, the church, for allowing me to have the time off just to uh, do what I needed to do and hopefully uh, I'm back for a while and I can run again and I can do. So I just praise God for what he's been doing in my own personal life in uh, healing this body. He is so good to us. But it also gives me time to just reflect on something that often we don't hear much of. And the last time I spoke to you was the first message that I gave, that I gave on the soul. And we're going to continue that for the next two or three weeks speaking about the soul because we don't give much credence or much time to the soul we more concentrate on this body <clears throat> and I never gave much thought of it myself until you get in the scripture and start looking at it and reading up on it and studying what others have also written on it and oftentimes we forget this body is dying daily. But the soul is eternal. And the Lord tells us, don't fear him who can harm this body, who can kill this body. But fear the one who can cast soul and body into hell. And that's not the same body. Let me uh, emphasize that. It's not the same body you have right now. Uh, you won't go to hell or heaven with this body. It will be a different body. But uh, I do want to just continue to share with you about the soul. Because we need to understand this. Our souls matter. Our soul matters. And we should give it attention. I never understood, and I'm just learning there. That the soul is fed by the word of God in a much deeper manner than just our bodies. And we talk about sometimes the depths of the sea that man hasn't reached yet. He hasn't been to the bottom of the sea. He has not explored all that space is. And you and I have not explored the depth of our souls and all that it is. And that's one of the things that I'm trying to do here. So I hope that you are just kind of like Give me your ear for a few moments. Allow the Holy Spirit to speak to you. And uh, let's see what the Word of God has to say. So, again, it's a pleasure being back with you. I missed you. I thank you for your prayers. But we also thank God for his Word. So let's pray. Father, we want to thank you and praise you, O God, for such a great love that you have for us. And Lord, we don't understand everything. And Lord, we in a lifetime 
will not be able, Lord, to understand all that your word has to say to us. But, Lord, would you impart your truth to our hearts and our ears? And would you allow us, Lord, to sit at the feet of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ and learn from him as the Holy Spirit imparts his truth? And, Lord, may it be a blessing to our souls. May it revive our souls. May it refresh our souls. May, O God, the Spirit of the living God, speak to our spirit that our spirit might speak to our souls and encourage us to run on in the faith of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. And Lord, as someone listens who may not know you, and may not have ever accepted the Lord Jesus Christ as their personal Savior, would you somehow, O oh God, grab hold of their attention and not just speak to their body, but speak to their souls. Speak to their soul, Lord, that they might hear you. In Jesus' name, amen. In this life, we pride ourselves on our accomplishments and our fame and our success. And on our resumes, we list all that we've accomplished in our short little period of life, uh, what schools or what successes we may have uh, gained during that little time that God has given us. And we thank so much of our accomplishments that we put our trophies on the wall, we put our plaques on the wall, and we think a great deal about ourselves, as though that is what really matters. As though that's what really matters, is what we have accomplished. What we have been able to succeed in life at. That that's what really matters. But what really matters is life in life is not our accomplishments, not my degrees, not my trophies, not my plats on the wall. What really matters in this life is simply this. What have I become? With all my accomplishments, what have I become? With all my success, with all my wealth, with all my knowledge, all my intellect, all my doctor's degree or master degrees or whatever I may have successfully accomplished here in this life, what have I become? What have you become? That's what really matters. What have you become by all your accomplishments, all your success? What kind of person are you? What kind of man are you? What kind of woman are you? See, God's not looking at all of our so-called accomplishments and successes. What he is looking at is this. What am I today? Where am I with him? Am I walking closely with him? Have I lost sight of him? Have I been given so much that I am in a position that I can say I don't need God? What is it? What have we become because of those things that we have accomplished. Won't you turn to Hebrews with me? Because we want to ask this question. In accomplishing all these earthly things and 
these things that can bring bring us pleasure and and enjoyment in this life have I somehow missed out on really nourishing my soul have I really missed out on what really matters feeding my soul because that's what really matters because that's what I'm going to really be is what my soul is that deepest part of me that most inner part of me must be fed must be nourished not by the body but by the spirit and by the word of God in Hebrews 5 and uh, going to verse 14 he is going to share something here with us and it's so important that we somewhat catch it here let me get one more light on here for I can see what I'm doing. And it's so important that we were able to catch it here. He says, But solid food is for the mature. Most people see themselves as mature adults, mature individuals. But how do we measure that? How do we know when we're mature? How do we know when we're really maturing? What do we use to gauge it? Scripture here gives us just a little insight into gauging that. And also what helps us to mature. He goes on in that verse 14. He says, but solid food is for the mature. Doesn't really explain to us what that solid food is, but I would suggest to you that that food is the word of God. That matures us, that grows us, that nurtures us. And he says, who by constant use is something you just don't do once in a while. It's not just something you do once a week, once a month, a couple of times a year. But he says constant. A continuation is constantly going on in your life. It's constantly a, a part of your life. You don't have real long drawn out periods of no thought about it or reading it, or seeking to understand it. He says, who by constant use have trained themselves, by, by constantly being involved with this, with the word of God, you are training yourself, a constant usage, not a once in a while. If you go to the track only once every three, four months, expect that you're going to lose weight or you're going to be able to run completely around that track and so forth, it's not going to happen. But if you go every day, you will also notice the difference. If you go to the Word of God every day, even though you may not understand it and you may not see things quickly happen. If you go every day, you're going to see the difference in yourself. Just like if you went to the track every day and you ran. If you went to the weight room every day and you lifted. If you went and you rode a bike every day five or six miles. If you did it consistently you will see a difference. You're going to see a difference in yourself. And if you go to the Word of God constantly, consistently, you're going to see a difference 
in your thinking, in your attitude, in your way of life. You're going to be able to see a different person. Why? Because that word of God is feeding your soul. That which is deeply within. That is going to bring about a change that you'll be able to recognize. And others will recognize it. What kind of change is it going to bring about? It says, By constant use have trained themselves to distinguish that you're going to be able to discern, you're going to be able to know something, to distinguish good from evil. Boy, that's a lot. To be able to distinguish between what is good and what is evil. See, the word tells us in Isaiah that there's that time that which we may be living in right now. That people call evil good and good evil. And what has taken place is that they cannot distinguish between what is really good, wholesome, proper, and that which is evil. Mannerism today is out the door because it doesn't matter as long as I get the food in my mouth. Mannerism is out the door when it comes between being a gentleman and being a lady. That's out the door. I'm a man, I'm a woman. Lady is out the door. A gentleman is out the door. Because that takes training. Consistently. You can tell somebody who's not a gentleman who's trying to be a gentleman... It doesn't work. You can tell a woman who's trying to be a lady but have not practiced being a lady, it doesn't work. It's just like a child trying to be an adult. It doesn't work. They're a child. And as some adults who are trying to be a child looks foolish. Why? They're adults. They're seniors. They're no longer a child. And they forget what Paul says, that when I was a child, I acted like a child. I did those things that were childish and so forth. But when I became an adult, I put away childish things. In life, there's always this area of putting away in order to mature. And there's always that area of being able to distinguish between what is good and what is evil. And today in our moral life, we call a lot of things good just because two consenting so-called adults want to do it, that makes it right. Not knowing the psychological effects or the harm that it does to two individuals, not just in the immediate time, but in the time that also follows. Because what is done is always here. It's always here. And it is not quickly forgotten. And there's always these memories that will come up then of what was done wrongly and not rightly. And you have to be able to really distinguish that which is good for your soul, which is good for you as an individual. That which is going to be profitable for you spiritually and that which is not profitable for you spiritually. And it may not be good for you spiritually. And God's promise here to us is simply this here. If you consistently train yourself in his word, in reading his word, you will mature, but you will also teach yourself how to distinguish between good 
and evil. And today in our culture and our society, we need that desperately. How to distinguish between what would be considered really good and wholesome between that which is immoral, impure, unclean, and damaging to ourselves. We need to be able to distinguish that because it hurts the soul of man. It hurts the soul of the woman. It hurts the soul of our young adults and our children today. And he says we need to be able to distinguish between good and evil, but that only comes about as we consistently be in his word and learning. Now, we can get so wrapped up in ourselves and the world can divert us or divert our attention from that which is so important, the feeding of our souls, uh, looking after our souls, taking care of our souls. We can get so wrapped up in this thing called life that we miss taking care of that which is spiritually important. And that's happening more and more every day, even within the church. All these arguments we get into at the church sometimes is only a diversion of Satan of really taking care of our immediate need. And our immediate need is to feed our souls what they have need of spiritually. But the world will capture our attention and divert us from taking care of our souls because I have to accomplish this. I have to be successful in this. I have to really be able to be good in this. And I have to win this. And we somehow neglect. And I've been guilty of this also. And so I'm just not just saying this is what you ought to do. Boy, I need to recapture this. I need to understand this more also myself. And I'm thankful that God has brought me back along this path here. That I begin to look at my soul differently. Because oftentimes I would read in scripture the word soul, but not pay much attention to it. I was more caught on the issue of the body and the behavior of the body and this and that, but not really recognizing the importance of my soul. And that's one of the reasons I'm on this. Because we all can be diverted. We all can miss something that is vital for us. But praise God that his Holy Spirit is faithful and eventually he gets us to see it and to begin to try to understand it as he teaches us. Because we can get caught up, and this is another thing with the world, we can get caught up with me and self, with the love of myself. And I miss the real love that God has for me. I miss what it is to rest in his arms because I'm trying to take care of all my woes and all my problems and all my pains and all the things that I'm going through. And I forget sometimes to rest in him, to allow my soul to rest in him. Because again, the world will divert, the world will wrap me up in self-pity, the world will get me to a place that I'm not even acknowledging my soul and what my soul has need of. Do we allow ourselves to thirst for Jesus? Do we allow ourselves to thirst for God and what he has for us? We fill ourselves with all the pleasures of this world, the 
we fill ourselves with so many other things. Uh, have you ever experienced that sometimes you just want a glass of water, but you drink tea, you drink lemonade, you drink Kool-Aid, you drink Pepsi, you drink Coke, you drink everything else. And finally, the very last thing that you'll drink is a glass of water. And that really takes care of the thirst. It's amazing. Nothing takes the place of water, although it's all liquid. Nothing takes the place of a nice cold glass of water. And that's what it is with God's word to the soul. Nothing takes the place of God himself and his word ministering to our souls. Now, once you turn with me to Psalms 42, and we're going to kind of just walk through this song here a little bit, because I want us to really capture it. I want us to hear what David says here. And understand that the writer here, or the author here, Korah, or David, is writing to us and, and, and letting us know what they're hungry for, what they're thirsting for, and the things that somehow cause them to miss the mark, even in their wrong thinking. So in Psalms 42, verses 1 and 2, listen to what the writer says. As the deer pants for the streams of water, he pants for it. He's chasing after it. He's going for it. He pants for the streams of water. So my soul pants for you, O God. Boy, I'm after it. I'm after it. Are you really after a relationship with God? Are you really running after a relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ? Are you running for him to quench your thirst? And he says, my soul thirsts for God. Does your soul really thirst for God? And if it does, what are you doing to quench that thirst? And what we're going to do is look at some of the things that have to be done in order to quench that thirst and also look at some of the things that causes me to be thirsty without knowing the remedy to quench that thirst. He says, My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. Look where he puts some emphasis that God is living. He's alive. He's a, he's real. He's real. How many of you have ever acknowledged there is a real God? And sometimes it has to start right there. Sometimes when you're thirsty, you have to acknowledge, I'm thirsty. You have to acknowledge, I'm hungry. You have to acknowledge something in order for you to respond to it and do something that's going to satisfy you. In quenching that thirst, that hunger, that desire. And he says, a living God. A living God. Think on that for a moment. God is not dead. God is very much alive. And he says, my soul thirsts for this living God. I want to know this living God. Do you want to know him? Because if you don't want to know him, there's always going to be that little nagging, that little thirst, that little hunger, that little want to know, but not really seeking out to know. But it's going to be there. And it's not going to leave you. 
And I want to encourage you. If you don't trust people, that's fine. If you don't trust pastors, that's fine. If you don't trust church, that's fine. I want you to do something, and I challenge you to do it. Based off of what we read in Hebrews 5.14, would you just pick this up and just say to the Lord, Lord, if you're a living God, I'm going to read this. And I'm going to read this every day for four months, five months, six months, a year. I'm going to read it every day. And because you're a living God, and if you are really a living God, would you speak to me through your word? Only thing I can say is, if you're willing to accept that challenge, and you're willing to consistently read the Word of God, I believe God will speak to you, and man will not have to speak to you. God will speak to you. And then you'll seek out men to speak to you. And he says, boy, my soul thirsts. Does your soul thirst? Is there a strong desire in you to want a relationship with a living God? My soul thirsts for God, for the living God, and he is a living God. And he says, when can I go and meet with God? When can I go? There's that thing in us that somehow I have to be in church or I have to be over here or I have to be over there and, and the thing is to find time to do that. No, you can do that in your car. You can do that sitting in your office chair. You can do that on your manufacturing floor. You can do that while you're sitting in your living room. You can meet with God. There's no special place to meet with him, per se. There is a place to go and to grow in him and to learn about him, yes. To deepen that learning. To have that fellowship with people of like-mindedness that love him and uh, want to continue to grow in the grace and knowledge of Christ. You can join a body that desiring to grow in God's word and live God's word, not just want to hear God's word, but are willing to put it into practice what they hear as the Holy Spirit outlines it for them. And he says, when can I go? You can go anytime. Don't let anything stop you. See, there's something stopping. There's something holding. There, there's something keeping him back. So the question is, when? And the answer to that is right now. Right now. You don't have to go to church. You can meet God right where you are. And you can feed your soul right where you are. Just by opening up this book. And allowing the Holy Spirit to minister to you. You'll be surprised. You may say, well, I read it before and I didn't understand it. Did you ask God to give you understanding? Did you ask the Holy Spirit to come and teach you? Because it's the word that says, no man will, you'll have no need of man to teach you. But the Holy Spirit will teach you if that's what you desire and you thirst after him. But then he goes on a little further in verse 3. Because this question comes. He believes in God, but there's been something that has hindered this relationship. There's something that somehow he feels afar off. There's something going on in his life that he really doesn't tell us all the details here. But 
He says, My tears have been my food. Rather than God's word being his food for his soul, it is a tears that are coming forth from the soul in a sense because of the trouble that is taking place on the inside. And he says, my tears have been my food day and night. He's been depressed. He's been troubled. He's been worried. Something is happening in this individual's life that his, that he is crying about, that he's tearful about. And it's happening day and night uncontrollable. That is something deep within that can't be stopped. And he is lying it to come out, but it's day and night. It's depressing. It's frustrating. My tears have been my food. So I haven't taken time to really eat, to nurture this body. Because I'm sobbing, I'm sobbing. And isn't this something, when you're crying and when you are worried and when you are troubled, somehow how it robs your appetite and you really don't eat? And he says, my tears have replaced my food in a sense. That which the body has need of, nourishment. And he says, my tears have been my food. Both day and night, not just at night time. A lot of times we will cry at night because during the day we don't want people to see us. But here is something that's going on even during the day when people can can see and people can know that you're troubled and people can know that you're hurt, that people can know that you're in pain, that there's something really taking place here. And he says, it's been my food day and night. And then he said, because men see it, and I have spoken about this God, or I've said that I believe in God, or I've given some kind of notion out here that people think that I believe in God, that some men will even come and say to me, where is your God? Where is your God? That's some question. You say you believe, you, you say you want to believe, and People will ask you, well, where is this God that you say that you want to believe in? Where is this God that you say you believe in? Where is this God that you serve? Where is this God that you're reading about? Where is this God that you're praying to? Where is he? As though to say, he doesn't exist. And you have to remind yourself of the very verse that you just read in verse 2. God is a living God. People will question you. But you got to get it up here that God is a living God. And he knows what your needs are. And he knows when you're troubled. He knows when you're in pain. He knows. And people will ask, where is your God? Now, verse 4 brings something home. That happens, I think, in all of our lives, even though sometimes we don't want to admit it. Sometimes it may not have happened with mom and dad. It, it may have happened with grandma or grandpa. It may have happened with some great grandfather or grandmother. Something that you heard within your family tree, within your family life. It's something that you've seen that sits on the fireplace or sits on the table. It's, it's something that there that says something about God. A Bible just sitting on the table says something about God in a home, even though they may not read it. That sits on the fireplace, that sits on the bookshelf. That book did not get in there by itself. 
it says something, even though it's not a used book. Yet it is allowed to be there. Look what he says in verse 4. These things I remembered. These things I remembered. Now listen to him. These things I remembered as I poured out my soul. As I'm crying in all these tears, then these thoughts begin to come. And I begin to remember. I'm remembering something that presently I'm really not doing or even very active with. But I am remembering it as coming to mind. And God has a way of doing that of pricking at our minds, our memories, and bringing some things back to us that will cause us to reflect on him or to give him a moment of thought where, boy, nothing else is there. And then all of a sudden, there's that thought about him. That thought may be no more than to say the expression that many of us have said during times of bereavement, at death, oh God. At a crisis, oh God. Oh God. And he says, these things I remembered as I poured out my soul. Two things are happening. I'm remembering And I'm weeping these tears uncontrollably. The pain and the hurt is there. But I'm also starting to remember something. He says, how I used to go with the multitude. Leading the procession to the house of God. There was a time I would be one of the first ones in church. There was a time I would be leading others to the church. There was times that I was actively engaged in going to the place of worship. But now, all I can do is remember it. Why? Because I've drifted so far away from it that it is not an actual part of my life at this present time. And I've drifted away from it. And all that is there is a remembrance. And God has to bring that remembrance of the joy of what it once was to go to his house. Isn't that something? We neglect our souls when we don't go to God's house. We neglect our souls when we don't find ourselves in fellowship with other believers. We neglect our souls when we're not hearing the word of God because by hearing the word of God comes faith. We neglect our souls when we don't feed our souls with the word of God but with the garbage of this world. We neglect and it brings us to that place of depression. It brings us to that place of our tears day and night and then the remembrance of what I used to do may come back up into sight and the question is then how do I get back there how do I get back there we're going to talk about that later but let's continue on here Because he says, I used to go with the multitude, leading the procession to the house of God. Now, listen, he's got these tears, but listen what used to happen in the past. And he remembers it with shouts of joy and thanksgiving, with shouts of joy and thanksgiving. Where's the joy at? Where's the thanksgiving at? I've accomplished this and I've accomplished that. I've defeated my enemies. I I have gold. I have silver. I have plats on the wall. But where's my real joy? Where's my real joy? And listen to the answer in verse 5. Because now he's going to really take a look at himself and examine himself. And he says, 
simply. And and he uses this little phrase about three or four times in this chapter that it pops back up. It pops back up. And he says in verse 5, Why are you downcast, O my soul? Not my body. My soul. That innermost part of me. Why are you downcast? Why are you depressed? Why are you worried? Why are you troubled? O my soul. And he goes on and says, Why so disturbed within me? That's where the war is going on. See, our real problem, our real troubles, are not so much outside as they are on the inside. And God wants to redeem us from that through his word. And allow the spirit just to rest in him, to allow our souls to rest in him. Why are you downcast? Why are you depressed? Why are you worried? Why are you this or that? Oh, my soul. He's not just talking to the body. He's going beyond just body and emotions and feeling. He's going deep within to discover something about himself. He says, is this the answer? Listen to this simple answer. Put your hope in God. He didn't say now, hey, pull yourself up by your own bootstraps. Love yourself. Have confidence in yourself. You can do this. You can overcome this. Listen to these words. Put your hope in God. There's times in life we get to a place that the only one who can help us is God. And I have to place my hope in him, in him alone. And he says, put your hope in God. And then he makes this little confession. For I will yet praise him, my Savior and my God. He has to be awakened to that by going back through this thing called memory. God's desire is to save every man, every woman, every child on planet earth. God's will is that none should be lost. And God wants every one of us to know the joy of salvation. And he gets to that point that he said, for I will yet praise him. Now, if you begin to consistently read the word of God, the second thing I want you to begin to do is simply this here. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank him. Praise him. I praise you for who you are. I praise you that you are the God Almighty. I praise you that there is no other besides thee. Begin to praise him. Praise him that day for what you read. You put it into practice and see what God will do I'm not trying to lead you through some psychological pattern or some type of hypnosis or something no this word of God will captivate you with the living God if you allow it And it will do exactly what it says it would do. It will allow you to distinguish from good and evil. You yourself will begin to see life differently. And you will discover the soul is not cast down, but is being lifted up. 
And he says again, if I may say in verse 6, just following verse 5, My soul is cast down within me, therefore I will remember. You have a choice. You can remember the things that you read in this word. You can remember a relationship with God. You can remember that there really is a living God. And it begins to energize. It begins to do something within you. And he says, I will remember. God started it. These things I remember. These thoughts started to come. Now all of a sudden God allows you to begin to call up those memories, those memories of joy, those memories of going to church with grandma or grandpa, with mom or dad, those memories of going someplace with a friend. God allows you to begin to call those memories up. Why? They're going to settle that depression. They're, they're going to settle that problem with inside you. As we get along in this a little further, when we get into Galatians 5, we see that the flesh and the spirit war against each other. This body wars against the spirit and the things of the spirit. And there are things inside that is much more deeper than those trophies and uh, I won this or I won that. There is something else that is much more important than that. He says, my soul is downcast within me. Therefore, I will remember you. Who's the you? God. It's so easy for us to forget God in a day. It's so easy for us in our life to forget God because life gets so busy and we're running here and we're running there and we're after this thing and after that thing and I have to study this and I have to get to work and I got to get this 12 hours in. 40 hours is not enough. I'm doing 60 hours a week. I'm, I'm running myself after everything that is not really important. The most important thing is your soul because it's going to define you. And he goes on and he says, I will remember you from the land of the Jordan. Boy, he's going back a ways. And sometimes you have to ask yourself, when's the last time you thought about God? You may be a man 50 years old and your last thought about God was when you was 17 years old. Everything else has been about building a successful life, living a good life. And along the way somewhere, you forgot to even give a thought to God. And I just want to remind you, what has a man profited if he was to gain the whole world and lose his soul? Nothing. Not a thing. The scripture says you are soon forgotten. We are very quickly forgotten. Once we go to the grave, and once they throw the dirt on us, once people leave, for some of us, it's just a matter of a few minutes and hours that we are forgotten. What's important is what have you become. Not what you so much have accomplished, but what have you really become because of what you have accomplished. And he goes on, he says, My soul is cast down with me, therefore I will remember within me, therefore I will remember you from the land of Jordan, the heights of Hermon. Now, in verse 7, he goes on, he says, and it's strange how these words are, but what he is talking about is that depth. Remember, I, I, I I share with you in in the beginning, man has never been to the bottom of the sea, the real depths of the sea. He's never touched the floor of the sea, nor has he ever touched the top of space. He's been in space, but he has not explored all space yet. In verse 7, he says, deep calls to deep. 
from within here, the deepest part of my life, that most innermost sacred area, my soul, I'm crying out. I'm crying out. And I'm crying out to this God who has also this deep, deep, deep love for me, for you. God is more than just a surface God. He's a very complex individual that we're never going to understand all that he is even as we spend eternity with him. I like what an old pastor E.V. Hill says that in the book of Revelations that the angels around his throne praise him and every time they go down they're praising him for what they just saw but every time they rise up They see something different and amazing and glorious and they have to go back down again and praise him and worship him. And then they rise back up and again they see something amazing and wonderful. That's the depth of our God. That's the depth of our God. And he says, deep calls to deep. In the roar of your waterfalls, All your waves and breakers have swept over me. By day the Lord directs his love. At night his song is within me. A prayer to the God of my life. Listen to a little change there. A prayer to the God of my what? Life. He begins to slowly come out of this depression. He is slowly coming out of this struggle because he's beginning to really understand God. The God of his life. The God of my life. And he says in verse 9, he says, I say to my rock, when have I forgotten? Boy, isn't that something... (laughs) The feeling of being forgotten. I say to God, my rock, why have you forgotten me? The question is, has God forgotten me or have I forgotten God? Is it God the one who has moved or is it me that I have moved, that you have moved. See, God hasn't forgotten you. I don't care what you're going through in life, what kind of trouble you're going through, the pain you're going through. God has not forgotten you. You can have the feeling of that, but the question is who moved? Who forgot who? Who forgot to call upon who? Who forgot to have hope in who? Who forgot to ask help? Why have you forgotten me? Why must I go about mourning, oppressed by the enemy? My bones suffer mortal agony, as my foes taunt me, saying to me all day long, Here comes that question again. Where is your God? Now, catch with me in verse 11, because it's so important. Why are you downcast, O my soul? He's right back there again. Why are you downcast, O my soul? Remember what he said earlier? I'm going to remember. I'm going to do this. In life, we do what? Up and down, up and down. And there's nothing wrong with the up and down. Is The issue is, how far down do we slip before we remember? See, I don't have to go far. And I can make it a correction very quickly. And you can make a correction in your life very quickly. By remembering God. 
putting your hope in God, beginning to praise him for who he is. And understand, you're not forgotten, but you are loved. And he says again in that verse, why are you cast down? Why are you downcast, O my soul? Why so disturbed within me? And again, here comes that answer. Put your hope in God. That's the only answer that man really has is that we put our hope in God. And he says, I will yet praise him, my Savior and my God. Boy. Very quickly, turn with me to Psalm 62.1. Psalm 62.1. Because, see, this is something we have to practice and we have to be willing to acknowledge that Boy, we need something. In 62.1, he says, My soul finds rest in God alone. Put your hope in God. There's no one else to put hope in. No one else to run to. My soul finds rest in God. What does my soul? Why? Because my soul is warring with everything that is against God. But my soul has to be fed by the word of God. And if I consistently feed my soul the word of God, I will be able to distinguish what is good for my soul, what's good for my life, what's good for my family, what is good, and what is evil. My soul finds rest in God alone. My salvation comes from him. Now I want to put the other word there for salvation of what salvation really is. My deliverance come from him. From all my troubles on the inside, I am delivered by him. From all my troubles, all my worries, all my depressions, all my sorrows, I'm delivered by him. One more and we'll be done because we need to understand that as it started off in Psalm 42 one, that we thirst. Look at 63 in verse 1. Look what again the psalmist is saying. O God, you are my God. Earnestly I seek you. What was the deer padded after the water? Earnestly I'm seeking you. Earnestly I'm running after you. Earnestly I'm doing it. I'm seriously doing this. I'm seriously, constantly in your word. I'm seriously praying. I'm seriously praising you and thanking you. I'm doing this, Lord. Not just to be doing something. But the response that comes back. Builds a relationship. That cannot be denied. And it's no longer something you do out of duty. Or something you do because you just established a habit. It's something you do because you desire and you want it. And he says, O God, you are my God. Earnestly I seek you. My soul thirsts for you. My body longs for you. In a dry and weary land where there is no water. Who quenches my thirst? He does. Who ministers to me? He does. My soul needs a constant relationship with the living God. And so do you. 
your soul, not just your body, not just your mind, but your soul finds its rest in Jesus. I want to thank you for this time. I hope that you'll take Psalm 42 and go back through it yourself. And just read it and reread it and reread it. And thirst for God, hunger for God, earnestly seek God. He is a living God. And he will reveal himself to you if you earnestly desire to know him. Well, God bless you and may God keep you. May something that was said today feed your soul, feed your spirit. May something inwardly click for you, I pray. Father, as we close, we ask, O God, your blessing upon those who will pick up the challenge to consistently read your word and see what takes place. Help them, Lord, to thirst after you. Help them to remember that there truly is a living God. Help them to remember whatever thoughts they may have had in the past about you. And, Lord, give them hope and allow them to know you are our eternal hope. And may they place their hope in thee. And, Lord, whether one be depressed Worried, troubled, frustrated, whatever it is, would you deliver them from it, Lord, and give them rest in thee? Thank you for what you're going to do. Thank you, Lord, for answering prayer. Thank you for touching someone. Thank you for setting someone free of the depression, of the worry, of the frustration, all that they're going through. Thank you for the joy that you're giving them right now. Thank you, Lord, for the newfound hope they have in Jesus Christ. Thank you, Lord. Amen. God bless you. God keep you. Have a dynamic week in the Lord Jesus Christ. See you next week. Bye-bye.